Pages of Pim Better Podcast. What's up, Voyagers? Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Better Podcast. This is episode number 143. Day of recording is Wednesday, January 22nd. My guest for today's episode is Richard Eng. He is the creative mind, the owner, the founder, the chef behind Black Label Donuts. Black Label Donuts is based out of Queens, New York. They have an incredible array of really interesting and unique donuts. They're a pop-up right now, but they sell out every time that they sell. And I was really excited to have him because he incorporates a lot of really cool ingredients and flavors from all around the world, a lot of really cool flavors and delicious things that I've had on my trips throughout Asia. He came highly recommended from some of the Queens crew that I've had on here before. So really, really excited to have him on here to talk. We were talking about like some really interesting historical food connections to New York City and Chinese food in America, and that was after we were recording. So I wish I had kept that on as we were uh, kind of shooting the shit before we left, but I'll have him back on again to talk about some of that stuff. Uh, Richard went through a really horrific uh, and traumatic episode in his life when he was assaulted and shot. Um, you can find out about that when you Google him. There's a, a Fox News article, uh, like a well, a video segment about that. And he's talked about it before. Uh, I guess that makes for sexy news, but I did not bring Richard on this episode to talk about that. Um Really, he's an incredibly inspirational person and a really great creative mind. So I was really happy to be able to pick that creativity from his brain throughout this episode. Uh, And that's really why I had him on here. So hopefully you can feel inspired yourself and take some of those juicy nuggets and allow it to, uh, you know, inspire you to, to be a creative yourself. So that's really the focus of this episode. Make sure you go to the show notes and you will find links to his social media. And that's how you can find out about when the next pop-up's coming, the cool flavors and things like that that he's working on at, at the current time whenever you're checking it out. This was recorded at the Hoxton in Brooklyn. It's on Wythe Avenue, like North 9th and Wythe. I want to shout them out because they let us record there in the Klein's Winter Hideaway. It's the these beautiful tents that are set up outside, and they're heated, but there's candlelight, and it feels like you're out in a cabin somewhere. It's freezing in New York right now, so you go from the freezing cold outside to this really warm and cozy uh, atmosphere, and it's private. You can have, I believe, up to eight guests. Um... It's a family-style dinner. It's really cozy. It's a really cool setting. So we were really fortunate to be able to hang out there, so I wanted to, to give them a shout-out. If you're interested in that, you can book on Resi to make a reservation to book one of those, those winter hideaways. They're really cool, really beautiful. I'll mention one other thing. I might have slandered Dunkin' Donuts a bit in this episode, so I want to say, let me set the record straight. I don't mind a donut from Dunkin' Donuts. I don't mind a nice strawberry frosted. Uh, but I think comparatively, they're just, they're tasty. They're just a little sad. You know, 
it's like if you pick up one end of it, the other end kind of droops like a dolly painting. I don't know. They're, they're sad. That's, that's really how I would describe it. It's like your cousin at a, at a holiday function who doesn't want to leave his room. He's laying in bed listening to Pedro the Lion records while everyone else is having dinner. That's a Dunkin' Donuts donut. But honestly, like, I don't mind them. Now, bagels from Dunkin' Donuts, that's something different. Bagels from Dunkin' Donuts, they're essentially feet. Heels, maybe, yeah. They have the taste and the consistency of a well-calloused heel. Especially one that's been, like, walking around New York City for a little while with no shoes on. Maybe it's been on the Z train. Do you know about the Z train? So the orange lines, I guess the F and D are orange too, but the JMZ is a line. And the Z comes like once, maybe like once every two weeks. The last time I got on the Z was December 15th. And I, it dropped me off and the ball was dropping on New Year's. So the Z, it, it comes infrequently. So a Dunkin' Donuts bagel is like if you get on the Z train and somebody steals your shoes right away, but you're on it for two weeks, so you're like you're walking around because you can't get off, but you got to get some exercise, and your heel gets really funky. That's a Dunkin' Donuts bagel. So, yeah, there's better food out there, but... Dunkin' Donuts donuts are okay. But Black Label donuts are better. So go be a patron of Black Label and your local place because I'm pretty sure everything from Dunkin' Donuts is frozen and just thawed out. What are those eggs? Like that egg circle you get if you get a sandwich? Like that microwaved egg circle? It's like summer camp eggs where it's like powdered and you add water, I guess. I don't know, man. Anyway. Black Label Donuts. This episode is with Richard Eng. I hope that you enjoy it. First of all, thanks for doing this. This is a really cool setting. Um, really excited to get to sit down with you, man. Sorry it took so long, but I'm glad we got something on. Yeah. Just make sure you, uh, yeah, cool. Perfect. Okay, so we were corresponding over email. Uh, I'm at work when I get your response, right? And it's a particularly hard day. And I see your response, and it says, just got back from Europe, getting my level two professional chocolate grading and tasting certification. And at first I'm like, that's so awesome. But then I'm getting super depressed because I'm like, man, maybe I picked the wrong line of work. Like, that sounds awesome. No, um, not at all. I think it would be cool to maybe start with that. Uh, I've never, I didn't even know something like that existed. So can you talk about what that experience was? Yeah, um, it's really funny. Um, how I've gotten so many, um, you know, just little little poking comments at me. 
about, oh, your life is so hard, you know, <laughs> uh, like, where do I sign up? Uh, I definitely went to the wrong uni and the wrong schooling. Um, so it's hilarious. I didn't expect to have so much um, people um, commenting on the post that I left on my Facebook uh, as of uh, late. So I just, I just realized that, you know, it's not, it's not something that you, you know, you see every day. So I guess that's why people were kind of surprised that, of course, something like this exists. But, you know, as, as, as we know, with all the different being the bar makers that are popping up uh, just uh, in gourmet shops and around the country and even in the world now, um, there's, there's a lot more of this movement that's happening. And in the UK, the Institute of Chocolate and Cacao was, well, um, was erected. It was devised in order to kind of maintain stricter um, standards for people okay. to be able to understand cacao uh, you know, practices in terms of harvesting, fermentation, just anyone who wants to know more about chocolate and cacao in general, it's, it's a really great place to start and you can go as high as you want in terms of certification. Wow. And so like you're, you're taste testing as well as part of this or? Yeah, we, uh, we spend a lot of, you know, as, as a sommelier myself, um, part of it is understanding from a tasting point of view. It's something that you, you do in level two. Level one is more about history and about kind of getting yourself acclimated to the vocabulary and, um, you know, just understanding where it all comes from historically uh. and, and how it's progressed as an industry, um, you know, for, for good and for bad, obviously, because a lot of commercial cacao uh, is not, um, it's not the best cacao, but they use it because, you know, it's easier, easy to grow and it's, it's just the commercial cacao that's normally used in, in bulk uh, chocolate. And so a lot of people have taken the time to kind of show people what really good craft chocolate can be when you get really good cacao. So that's, that's really the difference. And the Institute's all about trying to understand, uh, make people understand that there is good cacao and that this is the difference. Oh, that's cool. It's making me think of, there's a book called The History of the World in Five Glasses, and I read it, and I, I assigned it uh, maybe like six, seven years ago to um, a ninth grade history class I was teaching at the time, a high school class, and uh, it talked about, gosh, what was it? It was, um, I think, like beer and mead, wine, uh, coffee, which obviously has like... Uh, immense uh, historical consequences but one of those was chocolate and cacao and like the history of cacao going back to um, like Mesoamerican societies and its influence on Europe is really fascinating so well, I mean we don't have to get into all that but uh, the history of the world in five glasses is a cool book if people are interested in learning more about cacao uh, that's really cool and really fascinating and that sounds like an amazing experience that I'm definitely jealous of uh, I'm really interested in so like I know of you through food and through donuts particularly. I don't know if you know her, but Julie, who goes, uh, she she writes about food and blogs about food, um, and her Instagram handle is, is Gustasian. Uh, she's fascinating, talks a lot about history and things like that too. But that's, that's why we're friends. Really, really good friends. Amazing, we, huh? It, it's food that kind of anchors our friendship, and it's the fact that she kind of geeks out like me. So um, I always joke and tell people, and they're kind of surprised at my first uh, com uh, first reply w when they ask me, are you a foodie? And I go, no, jokingly, that I'm a super foodie. I'm not just a foodie. <laughs> but I think that's what Castasian is. Uh, you know, that's obviously her handle, but her real name is Julie. And I'm so glad we met each other. She's one of these people that actually came and sought me out 
during one of my original pop-ups when I was still in Bayside. Yeah, uh, really, like, people go give her a follow. I, I mentioned this to her before we started recording. I was like, hey, I'm going to give you a shout-out. But I was like, I guess, like, consulting with her. I was asking her, like, hey, like, what are some, who are some people that you think I should check out? And she mentioned you. And I'll get to kind of why in a little bit. But I'm interested in the you pre-donuts, because um, I imagine you're not cooking donuts at 13. So uh, what were your, I, I believe you have a biology degree. What, what were your aspirations? What were you doing prior to this? Yeah, it's, it's funny. Um, I've got a crazy, um, really, really varied past. Um, I like to think of myself as a super, super well-rounded individual because, you know, I was lucky enough to have gone through a private school for my, you know, education uh, much younger. And then I, you know, eventually um, figured out I was such a science-oriented person that uh-huh. I, I pursued, you know, uh, biology and, and I settled on a pre, pre-med background. And then, you know, I was going one way and then I totally deviated because I kind of fell in love. I kind of romanticized about the notion of getting into fine dining. Um, and that was kind of like another second calling of mine that again, again, it just, it kind of took over. So the, uh, there's many aspects to that, right? Like, what are you talking about? Like the business aspect or were you cooking yourself? Well, that's how it started. I kind of started in Long Island. I, I sought out some of the best, the top chefs of Long Island first, and then I slowly made my way into the city. And, um, it's crazy. Um, yeah, I never thought I was ever going to actually want to join this type of industry but it's just that um, I think the, the more analytical side of me, the more I looked at pastry as a science as well as, you know, just being a craftsman, you know, just uh, the artistry behind it all. It kind of appealed to me more and more the, the way I looked at it. And so it kind of aroused my curiosity enough to want to kind of pursue it. Mm. And yeah, I mean, I never thought I would actually get into donuts and like bread science. But again, you know, Nobody really, if, if you had asked me and made a bet with me many, many years ago, I would have said, no freaking way am I going to make donuts. I mean, maybe ice cream or something of that nature, but donuts, you know, that, that would have been like an afterthought. Did you grow up on Long Island? I grew up in Queens. Okay. Like my dad. We've, we've grown up in Queens, yeah, both of us, and we've been here forever. D- can you, like, recall any... Um I'll give my own anecdote first, but uh, the question for you is like, can you recall early in life anything that influenced you in terms of food? I, I can recall like, uh, neither of my parents are like particularly, uh, I don't know if it's insulting to them, sorry mom and dad, like if I say they're not the best cooks, like that's not necessarily true, but they were very inventive and creative. I never knew until like later in life that we didn't really have money. And so... My dad used to do this thing called like dad meals and like my sister and I had a lunchbox and it was, it was a happy meal. So basically he would make like a hot dog and French fries at home and put it in there and he worked in the warehouse of a toy company. Um, So either he was getting things for discount or they fell off the back of a truck, right? Um, So like he would put a toy in there and that was our, uh, our happy meal like gift that you get with those. Um, So like to me, like when I think back on like early, like, early food memories, that's what I think of. Um, do you have anything from early life that you think of like, oh, that, that got me excited about food? You, you know, what's interesting to me is you look at food trends and I was really, really lucky 
that at the time that I was pursuing front of the house, that is, uh, FOH, um, an FOH career uh, in fine dining, I, I was lucky enough to, to have been one of the maitre d's for John George management. And so I was kind of inducted into, um, you know, just having a first taste of fine dining in that regard. And it wasn't so much that I was surrounded by all these interesting people from all these walks of life, from all these different, you know, all these different captains of industry, you know, from from entertainment to, um, you know, just musicians, actors, you know, all these so many different people would show up, you know, to eat, and we would have to take care of these, you know, so-called VIPs and. You know, but th then again, in fine dining, you look at everyone as a VIP because that's mm. the way you have to. Um, you want everyone to have the same experience. So uh, that's not to say that we don't, you know, look at other people differently. Of course we do. But it's just that, you know, you, you show up to work understanding that, you know, you put your best foot forward. And I think, I, you know, I've adopted everything all the years of, of just having the same mentality, no matter who you work for in fine dining. I, I would hope that I can kind of pass these elements of thinking to the team that I want to be able to put together for what I'm calling Black Label, the brand, or some kind of a bakery or a next level cafe, coffee bar concept. It's just, I've always felt that, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing when you go out to eat and, and there's a, this part of you that turns into a little kid. Oh when yeah. You, when you go, and and you finally get arrived to the very last part of your meal, and I've always thought about how cool would it be if you can actually encapsulate some of those elements in terms of coffee, tea service, with dessert. Combine that with being able to, you know, just enjoy some of the excitement when you're going to a really really gifted cocktail bar or a really beautiful coffee bar. How cool would it be if you could actually merge all of these things and actually offer the next level, almost a Michelin starred experience in, in the context of a cafe? Wow. So this is the idea of Black Label. And you know, I, the way I look at it now is, if I can do that, then I would have something really, really special on my hands. And so that's where my mind is right now. Yeah, I just had this sort of queued up in my brain to to unpack from what you were talking about because you, you've mentioned fine dining a few times. Um, when I look at your product, right, it's really beautiful. And it, it looks like craftsmanship. It looks like an artisan made this. And I think like... I have very limited experience with fine dining, um, but... I believe, uh, and I think I'm right about this, that there's an understanding with fine dining about presentation because there's an understanding about the connection of the the connection of the different senses. So um, looking at something might impact how it tastes and the overall experience. It, is that something you think about at all? Are you conscious of that when you're, you know, creating your product, your donuts? I think. Part of that creative process, if we were going to tap into that, um, how to, you know, how to um, how to lean into that creative edge and try to make sure you keep honing that creative edge, so to speak. 
I think I'm lucky that I've been privy to to studying and to be next to some of these people that rubbed off on me, rubbed off on me ah. in the way that I was able to look at and open up my mind to look at mixology, to look at coffee, to look at tea, to look at fine dining, and to be able to incorporate all of these thing, all of these elements uh, into pastry, into baking, um, and then to be able to kind of take Queens as a very multicultural, um, if not one of the most ethnically diverse um, neighborhoods or uh, towns or boroughs, that is, and to be able to offer a product that people normally would have to go to several countries, several cities to be able to actually find. Now, I, th I think it's, it's something that I want to keep exploring because um, I've always felt that why does a French bakery have to just offer French product? Why does a Scandinavian bakery only, you know, why can you only have uh, be able to find Scandinavian technique or Scandinavian uh, ingredients uh, in, in, you know, in those bakeries or cafes? Just like, why do you have to wait to go to an Indian sweet shop to find those flavors or even the Japanese tea house to find those types of ingredients and flavors. So I always thought it would be really, really cool to kind of have an international, um, you know, just an international, you know, accent on mm. the brand that I've decided to kind of, you know, just show to people. Yeah, so that's uh, that brings me to why I was excited to talk to you. Um, it's always funny, like we were talking about this before we recorded, but I always know so much more about the guests than they know about me because I've done all this research. But uh, I was a very angry young person, uh, late teens, early 20s. And I think the thing that really made me sort of like come out of my shell and blossom and like totally love life was traveling. And I spent, you know, uh, I think at this point it was four summers in a row in Southeast Asia. And so I have just like this like real strong love and affinity for Southeast and East Asian uh, culture and people and food and all the experiences. Like it really enriched my life. And so when I'm looking, I'm checking out your stuff, I'm seeing like lemongrass, I'm seeing kefir lime. And I'm like, wait, what the hell? Like that's, that's Cambodian and Vietnamese and Indonesian and, and, and that's Lao, like... I can't believe it's in a donut. Um, so, that, yeah, I had that sort of queued up, too, to ask you about, like, are you uh, is are those just things that you're familiar with and have had and liked? Or I think you might have answered it already, but, like, are you purposefully trying to show the world, hey, here are some amazing, delicious flavors as well that, like, you never would expect to be in a donut? I kind of like the idea of bringing something new every time someone walks in through the door. Um, some of the flavors you might think I do for shock and awe, awe that is, um, you know, maybe even for shits and giggles. But for me, it's, it's just the fact that I've always wanted to create a menu. In my head, I've always sought out places or I would hope to design a space for myself in the future where I could perhaps maybe want to go and entertain my friends and family members all the time. But I think I've always felt that every time I find a great place, I'm always, there's a part of me that is 
that sometimes feels a little disappointed because I wish they would have or offer more specials. I wish I could actually go back and have the chance to actually go there more than once or twice a month because I'd be excited to be able to find something new on that menu and not have to wait for the next season. Um, and unfortunately, of, co of, co of course, it's, uh, it's, it's a real challenge for chefs to be able to do this um, for consistency's sake, number one, because it's always uh, taxing on the chef and his team, especially if you're trying to nail something down and if you're always trying to change the menu, it's hard to perfect dishes. Mm. But I think if you're doing it in terms of a cafe or a bakery, it might be easier to pull off. I'm not saying it, it's any you know, less difficult. I mean, I guess it depends on you know, what it is that you're looking to do. You know, but I think, um, I think in my head, I've always wanted to kind of drive, just present a driving force to people, motivate people to kind of walk through that door for me because maybe I would be focusing on more seasonal items and more seasonal um, produce and fruit, things that people wouldn't be able to get out of the season if they didn't show up right away to, to be able to catch those things just in the moment of um, the season. Ah. You know, things like in winter, to focus on things like, um, low, uh, what is it, low quats, kumquats, yeah. lime quats, just things that kind of really, really pique people's interest because you normally wouldn't find these things unless you were actually sitting in a fine dining restaurant. Um, so in that regard, I think it's always fun to kind of offer things that you would never, ever get a chance to try, much less even on a donut. You know, and I, th I think it's, again, it's, it's not because I'm trying to, to show off. I think it's, it's, it's right. also catering or pandering to people who are looking for more unique items, for more interesting flavors, and especially combinations. You know, things that people don't normally you know, think about when you eat a, you know, your average typical humdrum donut. You know, if I'm going to make a vanilla donut, yeah, maybe I'll do vanilla three ways. Or, you know, it, it's, it's the fact that you look at someone like the godfather of pastry, you know, modern pastry that is pure Hermé, after someone like Gaston Lernotre. And, you know, it's, it's like, here's a man who's able to take flavors, the simplest of flavors, but he's able to actually push and really, really go above and beyond what would normally be something that would be so, so every day. So again, I, I like to think about how to take you know, your typical flavors and how do I actually make them more than the sum of the, their, their parts. You know, that's that's cool. when I've realized that I've done something really special. If someone comes back and they tell me that's like the best donut they've ever had, the best pastry they've ever had, yeah, then, then I can kind of kick back a little bit and smile and realize, yeah, I finally did something. That's awesome. It's funny because, like, what is unique to someone is likely common to someone at the same time. So I'm thinking of something, and, like, my connection to this is so dumb, but I'll say it anyway. I was in Jakarta, for th Jakarta Indonesia, for three months in 2018. Um, it was part of a six-month-plus 
trip out of the country. And I started craving things, like just dumb things that were common to like my everyday diet here in America, like pretzels, because pretzels aren't very common there. Or peanut butter that didn't have palm oil, just like regular, just straight up peanut butter. I was just craving these things. Uh, cheese that wasn't like laughing cow cheese. Just things that, you know, aren't common there that I was craving. And so I, I see like these are awesome creations. You have like, uh, I believe it was Vietnamese coffee milk donut, which I'm thinking in my mind, maybe that's got to have like condensed milk, like the drip coffee. Um, or like a saute, peanut butter saute. I'm like, oh man, that's awesome. Like, do you ever get feedback from people who are familiar with those flavors and are like, hey man, thank you. This is awesome. Like this reminds me of my youth or back home or mom and dad's cooking or anything like that. Yeah. Um, you know, more than often it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's just a lot of astonishment uh-huh. behind the fact that someone would actually want to put that in a donut or serve it in the context of a donut. Um, and, and so that's, that's how my mind's been wrapped around the conundrum of how, how to actually present a donut that's going to be a memorable one. You know, I, I haven't served anything that was untolerable, um, and it's <laughs> not something that I, I care to do. You know, um, and I always, I always joke about how, you know, um, I'm going to make a sasig donut, you know, for the Filipinos <laughs> yeah, out Filipino, there. Yeah, Filipino, yeah. Yeah, and you know, if you don't know what sasig is, I'm always joking about you know, something like kare kare, you know, which is like, again, it's like a peanut, uh-huh. uh, peanut uh, butter or peanut, um, you know, stew with meat, you know, oxtail versus the sig, which is kind of like, believe it or not, it's kind of like, um, it's seared or grilled. Um, Sometimes it's still you know, sizzling, yeah. almost fajita-like, right? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's like, like the, um, what is it, like the uh, pig face, uh-huh. you know, kind of, um, what is it, like uh, a <laughs> head, uh, head cheese? Yeah, you know? exactly, yeah. Like gelatinous sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. All the car- <laughs> cartilaginous uh, pieces and whatnot. Yeah. And I always joke about that, just like I always joke about, you know, uh, when the Koreans show up for um, donuts, um, I always joke about, yeah, don't worry, um, I'm never going to try to do a, a gochujang donut. Yeah. Oh, that would be good. I love gochujang. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah so I always, I, you know, I mean, my, my brain does lean towards the more exotic things. Um, so I like to kind of always find balance in, in what I do. And, and, you know, so I always kind of look at how else can I combine sweet and savory, sweet and salty, yeah. sweet and sour. I, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not every day that you have someone that spends that much attention to detail. Um, but I guess that's what I've tried to push myself to do. I've tried to place myself in that arena where I kind of try to challenge myself and I try to make it so that I can kind of keep running my brain around the possibility of how many times can I kind of make the same two, three, four flavors and make them be able to coexist with each other, uh. but switch them up. So it's not just combinations, of, but even permutations. So I'm actually changing the way th- these flavors exist on the donut, whether it's the glaze, the filling, the topping, the garnish. And of course, every time you change these things, the donut changes completely. It's, it's just very different. Oh, there's a lot I want to unpack from this. Uh, first being, it sounds like there will never be a balut donut. So, um, no, that's probably never, ever going to happen. <laughs> um, I, have a, I had a terrible experience with that, actually. But um, that's just my, I've 
terrible constitution. Uh, I've actually finally tried my the first balut I've ever had, um, which came from some lady who is actually renowned for balut in Jackson really? Heights. Whoa, and, in Jackson Heights, huh? Yeah, a friend of mine treated me to one. Um, she was actually one of my assistants, um, really talented pastry chef, um, Jennifer Tan, uh, you know, whose Instagram is just Jen. So you can actually look up and see what she's been up to. You know, really, really talented um, lady who's doing some really cool things. Um, yeah, so she actually invited me to try this, and I actually was not grossed out. I think, um, you know, just being Chinese-American, you know, we tend to have a different kind of outlook on wanting to try everything for the first time. And being pretty scared at Balut, I actually... Didn't mind it. I was kind of surprised. Yeah, I, I taste is actually quite good. Um, I just had gotten at some point that I I won't rehash the whole thing for everyone. I've talked about this, but I, I was on a food bender in Cebu City in the Philippines, and that included Jollibee, uh, some satay at a bar, and then roadside balut. And one of those three things just came oh, rocketing out of me. Oh, <laughs> um, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but, but I just want to say, out of all the white guys with really super open-minded you know, outlooks on wanting to try anything and everything out there, you're, you're going up way in my polls right now, okay? <laughs> you're, I, I even respect you even more now. Okay? Uh, thank you. Appreciate that. Um, but I was thinking, oh, man, while you're talking, like, the creative part of this is so cool to me. And so I'm wondering, like, what that creative process is like. Like, are you always testing? Do you have a team of people that are uh, eating, like, your, your test cases, I guess? Like, are you always looking for different flavors? Like, wh what is that process like in terms of, like, coming up with a new, a new donut, essentially? So I, I spend a lot of time in my own head and for good and for bad, sometimes it's hard to turn off, you know, that switch, you know, and sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll just lie in bed and, you know, it's, it, I, you know, this little funny, funny moment, um, when I, when I grew up watching a lot of Charlie Brown, you know, that's, that's the Peanuts gang. Yeah. <laughs> and I recall seeing this one scene where he's trying to actually cram and he's trying to study, um, by placing a book over his head uh. when he when he's asleep and he's thinking that maybe if he's lucky maybe some of that you know some of that book will actually be absorbed into his brain <laughs> through osmosis <laughs> and then the funniest thing happens is that in the in the you know when he goes to school he realizes oh damn i think it's because i didn't get a chance to turn the pages when i was asleep i only know two pages yeah. <laughs> so that was so funny and so yeah i was just thinking you know in that regard you know sometimes i think that you know, it's hard for me to to turn off that switch. But at night, I think sometimes I, I kind of try to tap into that creative process. And and I know that I kind of try to kind of force myself, not so much force myself, but kind of try to tap into my, maybe perhaps kind of unconsciously tap into my subconscious to try to think about flavors and, you know, just combinations and to see if there's a possibility why I can actually get into that headspace while I'm sleeping uh -huh. to see what I could actually kind of, you know, just, just to see what I could possibly drum up when I'm sleeping. That's interesting. 
But I think more than often, you know, I think what happens is it makes it harder for me to fall asleep, which is probably, <laughs> probably not the healthiest thing or the smartest thing to do. But um, I think, it, I, I guess, you know, the biggest problem is when you're, when you're kind of forced, to, when you're forcing yourself to be more creative, I think there is a methodology that you can kind of want to kind of play with, which is being able to use Excel spreadsheets I think the more Whoa. good at uh, the more good at you, the more you force yourself to use an ex, uh, Excel sheet. Wow! The better you can actually look at the way you organize your thoughts, and I think part of it was looking at someone like the, the um, Adria brothers, the two guys behind El Boyi, yeah, in Spain, and I think it's the fact that they were able to catalog everything that they've ever come up with. Just, just insane, insane lists of lists of lists of things, of ingredients, of techniques, of recipes that they've ever created, and to be able to catalog all these things. And so I've kind of tasked myself almost either in my head as well as on the computer, on my laptop, that is as often as I can. And I think as a result, I've, I've gotten to the point where I've gotten even better at being able to look at something and to be able to dissect something to the point where I can actually look at something and try to identify it through the, the prism of a cocktail, of a dessert, of, of, a, of a dish that a chef has created, and to see if there's any way that I can actually repurpose Wow. This into a donut. That's really cool. Do you, do you, do you have a team of people who taste test and do you need an, an additional member of that team? Because that sounds amazing. I, I, I get asked that a lot. It's pretty funny. Um, you wouldn't be the first, you wouldn't be the last. <laughs> um, but if I ever have, you know, reason to actually, you know, try to get a team together, you'd probably be on that list. <laughs> awesome. Now, if I think about like the spectrum of cooks and chefs, right? So you mentioned El Bouilly, which I, I know of through like being a Bourdain fan, right? Uh, that's on the far right spectrum of like best of the best of the best. On the left part of that spectrum, you have like college kid, right? And I think every college kid has been at the point where they're like, ah, in my pantry, I've got some ramen, I got an onion in the fridge, maybe some cooking oil and some peanut butter. And then they accidentally create like a pretty tasty uh, peanut sauce with noodles or something like that, right? Uh, just through a form of experimentation or just out of necessity, that's what I have. Um, but I would imagine with baking, when you're experimenting, you also have to be incredibly precise. Am, am I right about that? Yeah. Um, if you don't know this, I'm going to rehash really quickly. It's, it's funny how in our industry, chefs are looked at as having... Um, what is it? Um, you know, the, the difference between chefs and pastry chefs is that pastry chefs get labeled as uh, having a lot of OCD because we have to be, um, because recipes are no longer recipes. When it comes to baking science and pastry science, it's formulas. You, you change the number and the recipe goes downhill really quickly uh. because it's all about ratios. This is the problem when it comes to baking. With cooking, you can be a little more imprecise, you know, so in that regard, I guess chefs are labeled as having ADD 
versus pastry chefs having OCD, if you didn't know that already. Yeah, I didn't, but that actually makes a lot of sense. Because, you know, in the kitchen, you know, chefs can throw a little bit of this, throw in a little bit of that. Pastry chefs can't do that. When I think about, um, let's think about like, don't, like, when I say donut, like maybe the first sort of like branding that comes to people's minds, right? Things like, like, like Krispy Kreme, right? Or maybe Entenmann's or, or Dunkin' Donuts, even though like most of, <laughs> most of Dunkin' Donuts food tastes like feet to me, but. Um, well, that's the new one. All right. Well, <laughs> but, you know, obviously taste is subjective um, and preferences. But to you, like what constitutes a good donut? Um, you know, I think what's interesting is this one time that a lady looked at one of my, my descriptions uh, when I was posting online about, you know, what, what separates what I do uh, in terms of, you know, preparation of dough. And it, it's funny because a lot of people don't realize that, yeah, you could make, you could take any kind of dough and use it right away. But the problem is, in order to develop flavor, and even to go as far to say that you want to develop umami, and if you understand about umami being that so-called mysterious so-called fifth taste of savory, savoriness or savory mm. notes. What happens is anytime you ferment dough longer, yeah, you're going to have more yeasty notes. It's going to taste a little more fermented. But scientifically, you're going to have a higher uh, level of glutamates. There's going to be spike in glutamates. And if you understand savory, as in glutamic acids, as in MSG, this is something that's always been a huge pet peeve of mine, that people... They don't realize that there's nothing wrong with MSG because it exists naturally in a lot of different foods. You know, it, there's a high, really super high degree of glutamates in everything from shiitake, you know, just mushrooms, to Parmesan cheese, to tomatoes, um, you know, seaweed, you know, kanbu. You know, it's just that it's, it's the way things are harvested and then used to season food. You know, you're, I, th I think the, the biggest issue for me is just like with, with the way people are vilifying gluten right now. I always joke when, when people ask, so are, your you know, are your donuts gluten-free? I'm like, no, they're extra gluten. Yeah. <laughs> that's what they are. It's a donut. I mean, that's, it's, it's bread. <laughs> you know, not that, you know, you can't make bread gluten-free. It's just that it's not my niche. And so um, to, to not understand that fermenting um, gives you more complexity, gives you more flavor, whether it's kombucha, whether it's, believe it or not, cacao beans to be able to make chocolate, um, even dough, you know, your fermentation is something that it's going to add for flavor. And so uh, if you're pushing the boundaries of cold fermentation when it comes to bread making, it's, it's um, yeah, it's a labor of love. You're not going to be able to use the dough uh, as a consequence of having to hold on to that dough longer, you know, but, but what happens is you get something more special. And I think that's something that, that needs to be more explored. And I'm really happy 
that you have something like a fermentation lab uh, in, at Noma in Copenhagen, uh, Denmark, where you know they're really, really pushing in the the boundaries of fermentation, and you know now you're seeing a lot of different types of miso. Before you, you know, all you had was you know just really basic miso coming out of Japan, but now people are really, really going out of their way to really uh, understand what can be made or what can be fermented, and we owe a lot of this, you know, from the fermentation lab at Noma, and I'm so glad that they've actually come up with their fermentation book. Yeah, it's interesting, man, because so, and I, th I think I'm correct about this, like when you have your pop-ups, it's very fresh. It's like the dough and then it's gone. Um, is there any way to replicate that in terms of mass production so that a strawberry donut from Dunkin' Donuts doesn't taste like a big toe? Like, is there, like, and honestly, like I'm, I'm being kind of funny, but it, is there any way to replicate that on a larger scale? Like, will there one day be individualized black label donuts that you can buy, uh, like a, a display aisle in a grocery store? You know, as an entrepreneur, as someone who's really, really concerned about branding and, and trying to make people understand what it is that I'm trying to trying to serve up or trying to put on a menu, it's it's hard for me to to want to diversify options right now because I am known for donuts. But I'd like to also offer other items in the future. And so I think that that's the dilemma that I'm faced with right now. I think um, it may be something that I'm going to kind of at least focus on for the time being because that's something that people know that I'm, I'm you know, just stellar at, at being able to, to make right now. Uh, just something that they've recognized as, you know, one of the best in the city, is, uh, you know, maybe the country even right now. Um, and, and in another one or two weeks time, I'm actually getting vetted by a really big company that's coming out from Tokyo to visit me. And I'm really glad that um, I've had other opportunities uh, come my way as a result of, you know, all the different um, accolades and recognition that I've been, um, you know, given. Yeah. It's just that I've never wanted to expand the brand to the point where I would lose control of it. I think as an entrepreneur, you're always more obsessed with just making sure that people don't lose, um, they, they never ever look at a product and say, oh, I think this guy scaled too quickly. Yeah. Or there's something missing, you know, from what we first had when he first had the pop-ups. You know, I, obviously I can't take my own DNA and I can't replicate myself and I can't always be there for people. You know, it's it's something that I've, I'm, I've realized that I'm going to have to kind of adopt as my corporate um, culture, you know, something that I also have learned from understanding Danny Meyer's point of view in terms of, you know, what he's done for Union Square Hospitality. That is, you know, he, you know, he's, he's one of these people that have really pressed upon me that you really have to understand the vision first. And if you can share that vision and make it something where everyone buys into, they start drinking your Kool-Aid, so to speak, then it's easier for people to walk into your store. And even if you're not there, 
maybe if you're lucky enough, um, maybe all the team members that you've chosen, that you've trained, if you're lucky enough where they can get to that point, then maybe you've done something right. If they can walk into any shop you decide to open and any one of these members can actually be able to sell the same product and give them a taste of black label as it originally was when you first became the face of black label and you were always there at the front of the line being able to actually talk up the product and show the same degree of passion and enthusiasm for the product as well as for the ingredients, as well as for the technique, as, as well as for the brand. Wow. This is not something that's easily done, but I think it's, it's going to be on my plate. And at very, very, if, if not the very, very top of my list, it's going to be prioritized as such. Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine there's also the, you know, things in culture in general run in phases and fads sometimes, right? Um, where something's hot one minute and then it's gone. Like I, I like to use the example of like Pock Pock was like, whoa, Pock Pock's so delicious. And actually I freaking love Pock Pock because it was right by my job at the time. And it was great, but now it's gone from New York. Um, so I don't know, just, just my connection to what you were saying. But I, I had another question about the creative process. Um, my connection to this is I've done a tiny bit of writing and I'm trying to do more writing. And I just literally today on the way home from work on the train, I finished Stephen King wrote and I think in 2000, he published a book called On Writing, which is about, it's kind of autobiographical, but it's about the writing process. And he talks about when he has a finished novel, he reads it a bunch of times and he sort of vets it through his wife who he uh, greatly respects, and I can put that back on, but he greatly respects her, um, her opinion and her expertise and she knows him very well. And that's sort of like how he knows it's ready. Again, like I look at this as artistry and I wonder when you are going through the creative process and you've created a recipe or an idea, at what point do you know, oh, this is ready for a pop-up? Like this is ready to go to market? That might be like a really big question, but... That, that's a really good question. I don't think that I've really had anyone really probe that line of questioning before. But I think uh, for me, I think as a perfectionist, I don't know if this has anything to do with you know my, my upbringing or my horoscope. It's not something that I, I typically uh, buy into that easily anyway. But um, I can tell you that it, it doesn't help with being a perfectionist that I have a scientific mind or background because we tend to analyze and overanalyze things to death. And so what happens for me is I, I think if I can please myself first, then I can assume that it's going to be good enough for everyone else. Mm. I think I beat myself up a lot. And I think it's another reason why I keep dragging my feet because... Again, I've had some really, really incredible, you know, opportunities knock on my door, but I've always felt that I needed to focus on the branding and I still continue to look at this as a beta, not as, you know, something that will ever, you know, become, um, 
more anchored um, into something that I think is going to be set for life. Huh. I think as when I looked at this, I realized this is going to be a so-called donut startup. It may sound kind of hilarious, almost kind of, I don't know, almost um, pompous to call it that. But I've always felt that, you know, just the way I looked at this was the minute I created that logo, I didn't really do anything with this logo. And I actually didn't want to, I, you know, it wasn't that I didn't want to, but I actually looked at my Excel sheet and I looked at, you know, it was like 50 different flavors and combinations and permutations of things that I put on this, an Excel sheet. And I always tell people, you know, when I'm, you know, when I'm at, tasked to explain the origin story of Black Label, you know, it was nothing more than a challenge to myself. You know, so I looked at this Excel sheet and then it grew to 75, then it grew to 100. I couldn't even tell you what, what the Excel sheet looks like in my head right now because I kind of stopped, you know, I just kept, I, you know, I just kept imagining all the different things that I could possibly concoct for, you know, um, names of donuts as well as flavors and combinations. But now it's more about perfecting what I have now versus trying to, you know, just go the distance with, with, with this Excel monster sheet now, this so-called matrix. I, um, you know, again, I'm going to remind you that Black Label, the name is nothing more than a reference to the whiskey. And I thought that at that time, huh. that when everyone kept asking for Black Label, I thought, how cool would it be if I could make a brand that would, would be synonymous for quality, but something affordable? And then I realized it kind of, kind of also went hand in hand. And I said to myself, how cool would it be to be able to, to have something that's easily remembered? And then it just so, as a matter of fact, I created a logo that actually looked like a donut. And I thought that black and white was also something really classy and you know, they always say that black never goes out of style yeah. and it's, it's just, you know, very fashionable. And I thought it was also a very serious color. And so, you know, all these elements, they all played into each other. And I decided, okay, it, this is going to be black label donuts. Now, I'm regretting that, you know, I, I called it black label donuts. I didn't call it black label pastry or coffee or bakery. It's not that I can't switch over. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. I don't know. Only time will tell. But from now, I'm just going to keep using what everyone knows the brand to be right now. Wow. This is a really interesting mindset about that, man. Like, so, I mean, you mentioned it almost being like... It's a lot to think about. Well, yeah. So it's, it's, it's the, the craziest thing is this. It's the fact that I think the subconscious was already, you know, already in sixth gear the fact that I was already kind of thinking about the brand before I was thinking about the donuts. And so the whole thing came yeah. together very quickly after three years when I decided that I couldn't harbor, I couldn't keep all these, you know, all these ideas in my head that I, or the menu of donuts in my head. I actually had to kind of prove to myself that this is something that was worth investigating, that it was something that I could actually market and sell to people yeah, I mean, but it's so wild to think that, like, 
And I can see it. Like I can tell, like I, I actually, I, I'm not an artist, but I'm similar in the way that like, I'm always like, I got to be better at that. Like I always like, I'm, I'm like never satisfied with anything I do. And uh, not to say that that's how you are, but it's interesting to hear you say that like, yeah, it's in beta mode. Right. Because man, there's people that like would, would die to have a two hour line until their product is sold out. And like, that's what you have. Okay. And don't, don't scare off everyone just yet. I mean, like <laughs> yes. I've seen it swell up to like an hour. Okay. When I first showed up for the very first flushing pop-up, somebody said they waited for almost an hour and a half, which I found really hard to believe. Um, but then I saw the line spill out of the building. I mean, yeah. that was just one of the most longest lines I've ever seen. That was insane. And, I, and I'll, I'll be really honest. I'll confess to you. We weren't ready for that. And I had my ass handed to myself that day. Really? It was just out of control. And probably the, the worst idea that I've ever had to want to serve hot cake donuts. We just couldn't keep up. Whoa. All right. So like, okay. So that's what I'm thinking about. And, you know... I think it's easy to be like, well, that's because it's really, they're really tasty, right? Like, so people want to come because it's delicious. Um, I also have this, this hunch that like, there's, there's a really, there's a cool like Queens camaraderie among uh, like all tiers in the food business chain. And when I, when I say that, I mean like from chefs to restaurant owners, to just consumers, to food writers, to bloggers, uh, there's a really cool brotherhood sisterhood I've I've seen in Queens, and so maybe that's part of it too. But can you pinpoint or like what do you attribute the level of loyalty you've been able to build with people who are consumers of your product? You know, uh, I, I've been blessed, really, really blessed with having so many regulars. I've been so lucky that, you know, the, the product speaks for itself. And I've had some really funny moments where I wish I could have had my cell phone out to tape some of people's reactions. I had one girl, and I, I, I like to share this little story uh, to a lot of people, you know, who, um, who are always really curious about what happens when they get a chance to try some of these flavors that I've, that I've come up with. Um, and, and a lot of times people realize after even looking at the menu, not even having had any of the donuts, that they, you know, that they realize that these, they can't, these flavors, combinations, that they'll never ever see or never, they'll never ever get anywhere else. And so more than often, you know, they, they come to be signature, either I remind them or they just recognize them to be as such because, you know, a, a lot of these things you're not gonna see, you know, uh, in terms of pastry in general, it, not even for a donut, much less in a croissant, much less in a cruffin, much less of in a muffin or cupcake or anything else out there, macaron, whatever, cookie. Um, you know, again, you know, some of these things I've looked at in terms of things that I, you know, that I've come to really, really respect in terms of things that other chefs have done in the form of bonbons, chocolate bars, ice cream, um, bread, um, cocktails, again, you know, things that I, I look at and I try to recreate and envision and how could I make these people look at donuts the way I look at, you know, someone's cocktails, oh, yeah. for example. You know, so I try to reframe things. But it's funny because there have been moments where, you know, like I said, 
I've had people who don't normally eat donuts, and they'll, you know, I, they'll stare at the whole rack of donuts, and then I just realize, okay, it's time to actually just have them taste something. Realizing that it's, it's, you know, it's better that they actually get to taste versus, you know, trying to, trying to have them rack their brains and try to decide on something that they might enjoy. You know, I'll, I'll look at something really quickly, and then I'll just shove something in their, in their hands or make sure they actually start eating before they walk out of the shop. And that's when, it's funny because that's when I'll see people actually do a 360 when they're out of the store already and they come running back in the store and everyone cracks up because they're like, you know what, I need like six more of these. You know, or like, oh my God, like, please tell me you still have that one flavor because I need to buy a box of these. And it, it's really, really cool because a lot of times, you know, you you look at people buying one or two donuts or one or two whatever. But for me, I don't know if it's a consequence, you know, of just being this one-off or a two-off, you know, whether it's once during the weekend or maybe if I'm lucky, maybe back-to-back both days on the weekend. But a lot of people walk up with boxes, not just one box, but it's even more than one box, maybe several boxes. And I was always very, you know, joking uh, with these people and, you know, just asking them, just kind of looking at them, you know, just doing a double take and asking them, you know, as they turn around, walk, you know, walking off away from me, you sure I'm not going to see this on eBay or you sure I'm not going to find you on Craigslist trying to resell these things? You know, because it's, 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 um, it's, it's, it's never gotten to the point where I've ever felt like I'm, I have to cap this at one or two donuts or one box of donuts at most. I don't think that's fair. And I think early bird gets the fresh donuts. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, I, I just think it's, it's kind of absurd. You know, if you're really willing to spend that kind of time and that effort to come out to where I'm going to be for that day, you know, I think, you know, it's justified that, hey, you know, you're going to get whatever the heck you want. Yeah, that's fair. You know, I was thinking, all right, <laughs> I was thinking of ingredients that I was like, oh, man, these are things that aren't that common here that I've had in my travels. So I'm going to name a couple of ingredients. I'll do them one by one. And you just tell me, like, if this could work within a donut, right? And if you steal any of these ideas, feel free to name the donut. Weird flavor combinations for a thousand dollars. Well, I hope one of these becomes something okay. and you can name it the Timmy okay. one day, maybe. Okay, here um, we go. Tim's going to ambush me so, now. And, and these aren't combos, but just first one, durian. Dun, dun, dun. Could that work? I think, um, you know, if, if we have enough adventurous people... Yeah, it could work. I could do a durian custard. I could do a, a durian glaze. It's custard, not like yeah. it just, you know, chop it up and just combine it, you know, into into some kind of a custard. So, yeah, there's a lot of ways to kind of approach ingredient as such to kind of make it less invasive for people who have never had it versus people that love it. I just think that it would probably be a very limited series for a flavor. Oh, yeah. I mean, as a flavor, man... I freaking love durian. And custard is genius because it's already like a creamy, surprisingly creamy texturally once you're once you're eating it straight out of the fruit. Um, Tim, you're just a weird white boy. I am a weird white boy, man. <laughs> oh, come on. Ah, like street side durian is 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 such a fun experience, but I I'll, I'll I'll move on from that. Um, 
Hey, uh, everyone's got, you know, their weird fetishes, and um, hey, to each their own. Durian, it would be mine. Um, okay, another fruit that I don't really see here often, you can find it, but it's just like a staple when I'm in Vietnam, like at a lot of breakfasts, is, is dragon fruit. Really, really sweet. Um, too sweet? Like, could this work? Maybe with a chocolate? You know, I, I'm going to be... Uh, Honest, maybe a little too brutally honest, and maybe maybe people who love dragon fruit. I don't. I've never actually had a really good dragon fruit. You know, it's one of these things that kind of you know is um, it gets on my nerves. Oh shit! You know, because, because I think it's something that might be hard to source ripe over here. So uh. I can't say that I've had maybe the best example of dragon fruit here. I've tried it several times. And I've, it's never something that I crave because maybe I've never had the best dragon fruit I could ever get my hands on. Fair enough. Here's one. Okay. Because I think of the, the combination of salt and sweet. Tobiko, which is when people eat sushi, like the little orange uh, fish eggs that you get on certain rolls or whatever. Yeah, flying fish roll. Exactly. Yeah. So it's fish roll. Um, could that work? Or is, like, the fishiness, like, too unappetizing? No, 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 no. Uh, I'm going to stop you there for a second. Believe it or not, I actually did have a New Year's uh, menu, a lineup of things that I thought would be really festive to have. And if you look back at my post where I did this um, graphic where I spliced the three ways, and you're going to see, like, champagne bubbles, you're going to see caviar. Um, yeah, it was an interesting black tie menu that I proposed that people would, you know, would show up for because I actually made a champagne, you know, custard. Whoa. Um, so it was um, something that I thought would be fun to do because it was New Year's. So I, I kind of, you know, came up with the, you know, um, ingredients like caviar. And so I did a salted caramel in quotes donut. Oh. And believe it or not, that was a creme fraiche boost donut topped with the salted caviar glaze and there was actually a canal of caviar on top of that donut there you are right so i'm not crazy um, no, not and i want to make a quick shout out to fossa uh the people in uh i believe it's southeast asia i think more specifically vietnam who are doing some really cool things with uh artisan um, craft uh chocolate bars right now they have some really interesting umami uh, flavors. If you don't know about this uh, brand, you should definitely look them up. They are much harder to find here. Um, I think you can find them on Caputo's website. I think Caputo ships for free, if I'm not mistaken, and they're based out of Utah. Uh, so they have a huge selection of really amazing artisan, uh, you know, high-end chocolate bars. Oh, and cool. for Fossa, they have... The so-called, I'm, I'm loosely coining those bars as the Umami series only because they have three bars that come, up, come to my mind that are super savory. One is a sesame seaweed bar. Another one is, believe it or not, a salted egg cereal chocolate bar. And then the other one, which is kind of really, really left field, believe it or not, is... Yeah, this is going to blow your friggin' mind. It's, it, believe it or not, it's a salted, or I'm sorry, a dried shrimp bonito 
And if you don't know what bonito is, it's the thing that tops your takoyaki. It's the dried fish flakes. In Japanese, it's it's katsuo bonito, or in English, uh, dried skipjack. And I'm a member of the tuna family. Dude, I'm into that. My go-to, like, I love fish sauce. I love shrimp paste. I love shrimp chips. Uh, that's awesome. I had, there's one more, and maybe this one's actually, like, kind of common. And I might even be pronouncing it wrong, but... Uh, Likely, if you know of this, it's from just going out for like Japanese food or I think even like hibachi places often have this as a dessert. But it's like a chewy cookie outside with a sort of ice creamy inside and it's it's mochi, right? Um, yeah, the, uh, the, so it's just glutinous rice cakes with ice, stuffed with ice cream. That would be yeah. it. And my favorite flavor is red bean. And I've seen, you've, I've seen that you've used red bean flavor. But could could you make this – could you make – like a mochi concept into a donut with like the inside as the filling of the donut. Yeah. Um, that's something that I am, I have put on the back burner, you know, for a while, um, when I first started testing a boatload of, of dough recipes, you know, I, I ran the gamut. Um, you know, it's interesting, you know, to, to go down that, um, down that, uh, that journey, that I took when it first, you know, when I first uh, brought upon myself, you know, when I when I first decided that I wanted to kind of throw down the gauntlet and I wanted to see how many recipes could I perfect and what would be the, you know, the final dough recipes I would be using um, for the first round of donuts that I would be releasing. Um, and I realized for me, it, you know, it's always going to be brioche. I'm a sucker for brioche anything. Oh, okay. I really, really love brioche. Really, really light, fluffy. It's good for French toast. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, just, I love kala. I love, you know, just, um, you know, it's, it's, it's something that I just feel like you can have a lot more of and not feel bogged down. You know, it's, it's, it's not oh, like cake donuts where they're really yeah. dense and heavy. You can only have so much of it. Um, and it's the fact that you can fill these things. And so I've always felt that it was a canvas that I could actually use. It was a medium that I could, I, I could actually use um, and kind of play with it. You know, just, it'd just be a lot easier to, to play with and to experiment with. But, you know, also, first and foremost, it was something that I was really, really more partial to. But then I realized, um, you know, I could, I could play with potato, potato dough, donuts. Oh. I could play with... Other alternative things like sour cream, old-fashioned donuts, but you know, obviously that would be in the cake uh, genre. I could also play with mochi donuts or even hybrid donuts. And if you don't know about Mr. Donut in Asia, you know they have these so-called mochi donuts. But I, I, you know, I, I just don't find them as interesting because I think the flavors tend to be very muted on the flat side. That's not to say they're not good for what they are because they tend to be on the lighter style. But that's that's obviously on the Asian more on the Asian um, spectrum yeah. of, you know, dessert, uh, the fact that they they don't tend to veer towards sweet, you know, they tend to be very, very conservative. But also, you know, I think that mochi is something that people can play with more. But, um, yeah, I, I just think that I feel sorry for people who, who can't do gluten, but it's something I definitely would like to eventually put back in the menu as well as buckwheat. You know, for people who don't eat noodles. Like, and, yeah, I was just going to say, like, noodles. So yeah. Much, because it is a buckwheat 
um, which doesn't have gluten. So it's something that I have been playing with uh, in terms of a buckwheat sour cream old-fashioned. I did something called a buckwheat honey, uh, um, or I'm sorry, a, a soba, a soba um, buckwheat honey sour cream old-fashioned donut. And, and somebody said it tasted like pancakes and syrup, and I said, yeah, sure, why not? Whoa. And it really did. That's awesome. Dude, I'll wrap this soon, but there's a there's a couple of things I uh, I want to kind of uh, end with here and maybe bring this all full circle. I have a quote from you here somewhere. Okay, uh, it's condensed, but you said, "I used to wish there were more Asian American chefs like me, so I could have more role models and mentors to look up to." Then one day, I became one. I'm wondering if you could talk about this because I think this is cool and powerful. And I guess maybe sort of like what it means to you now to be in a position of influence and influencing people's food tastes and being that thing you wished you saw more of, which is like a role model and a mentor for people. I think, um, you know, it, if you know the good and the bad that's happened as a result of, you know, um, what's happened to me. That crazy night, June 5th, uh, 2 a.m. in the morning, uh, when I got ambushed, and then all the media attention that I received, because, you know, after after everyone that had followed me, that helped build the community, um, that supported me in Bayside when I first started this uh, pop-up idea of mine, um, it's everything and more that I could have ever have asked for, and and I've had so many people reaching out to me again, you know, just wanting to see what my psychological status was, you know, my mental well-being, you know, how healthy I was. And it's, you know, these are things that that every chef has to come in terms with, you know, they always gripe and they always have to come in terms with how unhealthy it is to have the worst working conditions because you're always sacrificing you know and it's different for bakers because we we have bakers hours you know i remember going into one of these first baking jobs when i first worked for this big chain and you know they they came over to new york to open up and test out the market no longer here but they, they gave it their all and they gave it a really good you know good, good try here and i remember hearing about how the dough maker, because you know they would have to make several dough uh, recipes. The dough maker came in at midnight. The rest of us shapers would come in at three, you know, and then it would work all throughout the wee hours of the morning. And I remember driving and feeling like I was actually in an episode of the Twilight Zone. Wow. And it was so funny because I, I knew that. People on the weekends, if I was working, and that all these, all my friends were actually either home by then or still out partying and about to go out to eat afterwards or heading home after a night of partying and drinking and whatnot. And I, I remember driving and then walking through that door and having someone having to open the door and having to lock it right behind me, you know, for security reasons. And it was almost like, you know, walking into my self-imposed prison. Not that it was a prison of any sort, but, you know, there, there are times when you, when you look around you and you realize 
that, you know, you're, you're, you're in, when I say you're, when you feel like you're in an episode of the Twilight Zone, it's because it's almost like, it's almost like being in a, you know, in, in the nuclear holocaust when you're driving in, on a freeway and then you realize there's just no one up at this hour, you know, and, and at that time of, you know, in the morning. And it's peaceful, but at the same time you realize it kind of it kind of reminds you that you you've given up a certain big portion of your life because if you're working at night, you know, and you're looking at in a different set of you know a different set of um, conditions where you look around and a lot of people are on dates or they're bringing out their friends and family and they're all at dinner and they're all enjoying and. It's, it's something that you kind of lose out on, especially over the holidays. And so, again, it's just rehashing, but it's something that, you know, it's, it's, you get used to this. But is it something that you ever really want to get used to? Probably not. But I think more than often, I think it would be nice to be, to be able to, to just have people come up and just say thank you for, for wanting to open or to even just want to be there when the rest of us are just out having dinner, mm. you know, and, and not thinking for a second that we ever have to be at work for any reason because, you know, we, we live, you know, the normal nine to five, you know, or eight to five or eight to six or whatever it is, kind of hours you work, you know, whether, whether you're following the market for financial reasons, whether you're stuck in a cubicle. But if you're in the hospitality sector, it's very different because, you know, this this is just the type of life that we're kind of we've we've chosen and that we're, you know, we're we're relegated to because we don't have a choice. Granted, you know, there are chefs who are trying to make it more, more, um, more humane for us, you know, or for the rest of us. So we have a little more, um, more at least suitable hours. You know, um, so you, you can have a work-life balance. But for the most of us, I think we do still give up a lot to, to be able to offer, you know, the kind of services or products that we're able to deliver. But it's at a very, very high cost to us. Wow. Listen, Richard, like I, you know, this isn't, um, this is not my career. This is not a paid gig. Uh, but it's something, you know, we were talking about before recording, just like the diversity of guests I've been able to have on here in terms of what they do and their interests and where they're from and all this stuff, uh, has been really fulfilling and enriching for me. Like I get to meet so many cool people doing so many amazing things. Um, you had a really horrific and tragic experience happen to you. Uh, didn't invite you on here today to talk about it, so we're not going to. Yeah, um, I'm really thankful for that because as much as, you know, I feel like the story needs to be shared and maybe I will in some type of memoirs, you know, I've been approached again by, yeah, by another interesting opportunity to want to actually share this in, in terms of some kind of a biography or autobiography. And perhaps I will begin, you know, um, some kind of, you know, expose on what's happened to me. Yeah, uh, that, yeah, I mean, that also can be something maybe that is 
really valuable to people. Um, but I think, you know, anyone for any of these episodes, likely the first thing they're going to do to find out more information about the guest after they hear the episode is to Google the person and they can Google you and they find these things. They can see news stories. Um, the reason I bring it up and to connect it back to what I was just saying is, uh, this is, it's amazing to get to meet you and sit with you. I invited you, you on because, uh, you're creative and you're inspiring. And these are things that will inspire other people, but in a very selfish way, I get to sit down with people that I think are really cool, doing cool things that I can take a piece of that conversation and it can influence my life. So I say that to say, uh, I'm really glad, man, that you, that you pulled through something really difficult that I'll never understand. And, um, you're here now to, to share your story and I'm really glad that you allowed me to share your story and all these cool creative nuggets uh, with the people that listen to this podcast. So uh, thank you so much for joining and let's end it with like, what's happening with the future? Is there a pop-up coming soon? Is there a brick and mortar coming? Uh, like where do you see this year going in terms of Black Label Donuts? I think that I am really, really focused, hell-bent on needing and wanting to, more more needing than wanting to open up some kind of a brick and mortar, some kind of a permanent location so people can finally um, get their hands on these things all the time, full-time. Um, you know, I again, I don't want to ever sacrifice the brand or sacri sacrifice the quality, you know, just for, you know, just because I need to you know, to, to cash in on this. It was never about that. It was more to, and it wasn't so much to impress people, impress people or, or to even impress myself. It's just, it was, you know, I always, you know, remind people, you know, you, you really, you're going to laugh, but it was really to just try to satisfy the most selfish desire. You know, I really wanted to make something that I could want to eat every day. And... Hey, I get it. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a really... You know, it, it's the most selfish thing I could actually ever confess to. But I just felt like I was really tired of driving like over half an hour to get like something that I thought was worth eating. And so, you know, being in Queens, when I when I when I thought about, hey, you know, how come it? Why why do we have to have, you know, people always saying, oh, Brooklyn this, Brooklyn that, you know? And I just realized, you know, like why does it why does it that people have to go closer to the city to find anything that's kind of next level or, or more sophisticated. And, you know, I've always, you know, just looked at Queens as being really, really great for more ethnic cuisines, mm. you know, and, you know, everything takes forever to ripple out from, from the city, you know, just to, especially all, you know, to ripple out all the way to Long Island, you know, that, that's another, you know, really sad story in itself. I, you know, I just, I'm just happy that I could, you know, come up with something that makes people happy, you know, that people can look at and, you know, it becomes an everyday luxury that because if you're going to indulge, if you're going to make the effort, you know, to, to splurge, you know, to, to try to, to try to, you know, just have something that you can kind of really, really savor and crave even, you know, that, it, then I realized I've, I've done something proper, you know, and, and that's always been a goal of mine. I feel like if I can't go, you know, just 
blow it out. And if I can't make something that people, people really just all over go crazy about, you know, then, then there's not worth doing. It's not worth selling, you know? So that was always something that I had in mind. And it, I had to please myself first. That was always gonna be the biggest challenge because I'm always gonna be my own, my own worst critic. Hell yeah. All right, well, I will say, as always, people can go to the show notes and I'll have a link to the Instagram, to the Facebook. They'll be able to follow along when, you know, with news, when the next event's happening. Um, hopefully it's in a neighborhood near you folks. I will tell you, I'll be at the next one. So if you're there at the next pop-up uh, and you see me, come say hi. We'll eat some donuts. We'll hang out. So uh, just, you know, don't forget, because I am a pop-up still, until it transitions to something else, please remember to follow me on social media yeah. through Black Label Donuts and Instagram and Facebook because a lot of people are still trying to figure out how to get a hold of me. And, and I do still get the occasional message. Are you still in Flushing? Are you still in Astoria? You know, you're going to really have to follow me to figure out where I am. You know, unfortunately, that's just the best way to follow me through social media. Beautiful. And I'll have a direct link. Go to the show notes. And um, click it. You'll get right there. So, uh, Richard, cheers, man. Thank you. This was great. Thanks for the opportunity. And I hope you guys keep following Tim on uh, his podcast. You know, uh, it's such a great uh, time to be here. You know, it's just we're so lucky. The fact that, uh, you know, food and, you know, in general is, you know, it's, it's, it's something that's not relegated to rich people. It's not relegated to, you know, just... Um, industry people, I think we're so lucky that we have more outlets out there, more food journals, more cable channels. You know, it's, 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 it's definitely the, the best time to be a foodie. Hell yeah. Well, cheers, man. Appreciate you. Cheers. Thanks so Thanks much. Again. Happy New Year. You too. Everybody, that is a wrap on episode number 143 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thanks again to the Hoxton. Thank you also to Richard and Black Label Donuts. Hope to have him on again one day when they have a brick and mortar and he's blowing up and his donuts are being sold everywhere. Really cool guy. Had a great time hanging out with him and talking to him. Hope to see some more of him in the near future. I forgot to mention at the outset, and I always mention that there's a Patreon for this podcast. If you contribute to the Patreon, it will keep these episodes coming and you'll get some cool things. So depending on the tier you're in, you might get stickers or postcards from around the world or I started printing up TV TV t-shirts with like the ore logo, kind of like skull and crossbones, but it's the ores. So that's a tier in the Patreon. So go to patreon.com slash the voyages of Tim Vetter if you are able to support this podcast monetarily. If not, hey, that's cool. Love all of you listeners. You're the best. So thank you to you as well for tuning in, as always. I will be speaking to you soon with a new guest. But for now, folks, I will say goodbye. Thank you. And as always, please take care of each other. Until next time, folks. Mm -hmm.